today we'll be answering a question from Brad. He asks, within every thinker, is there some kind of doer finding a way to be released? I'm here with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. That's Admiring good my awesome new T-shirt, <laughs> which you can describe to listeners because you can see it. Yeah, well, it's you know you mentioned on an, an earlier podcast that you wanted a shirt with Mikhail Bakunin. Yes, I was going to pronounce it wrong, so that's I'm glad. Well, that's what got me all confused when you gave me the T-shirt. <laughs> but it says "Fathers of Anarchy" on it, obviously playing on the the popular TV show "Sons of Anarchy." So, so I now have a Mikhail Bakunin T-shirt thanks to Tim. <laughs> Merry Christmas, and I hope everyone had a safe holidays. That's how far ago we recorded this. <laughs> and more importantly, that you've come back from any kind of stress about doing the right thing by everyone in your life and have got back to some level of equilibrium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Christmas Christmas is stressful for social cohesion, let's say. <laughs> I think everyone wants to see everyone and wants it all to go well. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I, I think I realized that between the beginning of December then my birthday, then people being back from interstate and overseas, then Christmas, then New Year. I think I did two social things every day for a month. <laughs> wow. It, it was awesome, yep. but I'm knackered. Yeah, I can imagine. I can absolutely imagine. Well, you're sounding a little bit refreshed. So. Well, this is good. That's because I got a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what do we think of Brad's question? I'll just repeat it. So it's within every thinker, is there a doer, or some kind of doer finding a way to be released? See... I know Brad, so I can give a biased answer. <laughs> so I think importantly what we should do here is let you unpack the question a bit first and make it a bit more objective, what okay. you think it means. Sure, sure. Otherwise, you know, I, I won't mean to talk about Brad, but I'll be talking about <laughs> Brad. Sure. So what the assumption is here, I think, is that people that think too much find it hard to be practical about their thoughts. It, well, that's that's kind of what the question is asking, yeah. I think. So yeah. I am someone who has always appreciated the practical um, as well as the thinking aspects of my life. And I've tried to be a, a practical Zach with um, all of the study and things that I've done. But it is hard when the things that I do practically have nothing to do with what I think about. I don't think much about <laughs> my practical skills. So, for instance, um, when I left school, I vaguely trained to be a mechanic, um, did some work experience and you know, have an interest in cars and and have practical skills fixing things and doing practical work, but that has absolutely nothing to do with what I think about. And I can kind of see where the question is coming from, that when I overthink or think too much about philosophical topics, which is uh, something that I'm in danger of being a philosophy student, which you found yourself in a similar situation when you were younger, David, mm. is that it's really hard to connect what I read and think about to what I do in the everyday. Mm. So I reckon you've tapped into two important things here, and, and that's really good. Do you want to just do something so you have practical on one hand and mm. thinking on the other hand and the two can be separate mm. or do you want to bring the two together or can you just live in a world of pure thought? So mm. there's really three aspects to this. And you know, we're in a university where there's a heap of people who live in a world of pure thought. 
because they get us to continue to write stuff to keep developing their thought. And there may not necessarily be a practical opportunity to implement that thought. Yeah, they hope a policy reader, uh, sorry, a policy maker reads what they think about or that someone asks their opinion or they get you know, asked to talk on the news or to you know, give evidence to an inquiry so that their thought informs the practical. But in a lot of cases, there's a lot of people who just end up thinking at an advanced level for the sake of thinking at an advanced level. And at the moment, I'm reading David Goggin's book, Can't Hurt Me. And one of the first things that comes through in that book is if you have a choice to do what you're already good at or do something uncomfortable, you should do the uncomfortable thing. Because Mm. if you keep doubling down on what you're already good at, yes, you do that better and better, but you progressively become more fragile and more divorced from the outside world. And the more divorced you are from the world, the more fragile you get. So the fragility becomes like a double down. So there's a deep concern in a question like Brad's and what you and I are talking about, that even though thinking can lead to profound things, if you're thinking deeply enough, you're also thinking about at what cost. Mm. At what cost did I spend eight hours today pondering on one page of a book? everything's got an opportunity cost. Now, more and more, there's more people studying the idea that the time you spend at university, if you don't really want to be there and you're not really committed, what is the opportunity cost? Mm. What have you lost? And the estimate in America is it's about $50,000 a year. So if you're at college for four years, you've earned up $200,000 of income. That's a house deposit. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty significant one. Yeah, (laughs) And yet the, the point and the implication is now is that if you don't know why you're at college and you don't do really well, it's not going to open the next door anyway. Mm. So if something else is going to open the door to income, status, intrinsic value, extrinsic you know, uh, reward, do that. So we, we move from what is quite a small question to big questions about how to define your life and how to define meaning. So from my perspective, I think we have three groups of people to talk about here. Mm. We have the thinkers who think because thinking is what makes them happy and it's what they're afforded, they're rewarded for and they just keep doubling down on what they're good at. Mm. And I would argue that if you keep doubling down like that, you pervert yourself out of shape. It becomes so normal to think and write and not really interact and to think other people want to be like you. So to me, the example in universities is, and I'll use the example of me being an undergrad, don't want to say anything that could be misconstrued about any of my current colleagues. I'll use a historical example. Mm going through as an undergrad in the 90s and there would be academics who would pay attention just because you were interesting, they were a minority. Mm. There were academics who would pay attention because they could try and build a mini-me. They needed to justify the overinvestment in thinking by creating another person who overinvested in thinking because if they had company, where they ended up would seemingly have more value and they'd have company. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's that way now because I'm not an undergrad anymore and I make the very deliberate decision that I want you lot to think but I want you to think so you can do what you want to do. I don't want to make any mini-me's. The idea of sort of, you know, you have to act like a weird blind guy and both work for special forces and teach undergrad. Mm. (laughs) How Mm. does that add up? (laughs) So the mini-me thing just doesn't work but I also don't want it. So I've got a bias towards thinking should always lead to doing. 
If not directly, then balance your world up by thinking in one thing and being practical on the other. Mm. But the question is, is this central to everybody? And I would argue no, because in our risk-averse society, where why take a chance if it can go wrong? Why not just keep doubling down on what you're getting praised for? Part of the reason I think we live in such a fragile society is we now have tens of thousands of people in our society who only do what they're already good at. And in doing so, they're highly competent as long as what they have to do is narrowly defined and they don't want to go beyond it. So there you know, there might be a link between thinking and doing, but it's a narrow thing of reinforcing. Whereas I think Brad means the broader thing of if I'm very good at this thinking thing, then I should go do something that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Now, that might partially be because I'm reading David Goggins at the moment mm. who went from being a 300-pound pest exterminator to getting ready for SEAL training. In under 100 days, he lost 100 pounds. Whoa. And got fit again. You know, Goggins is kind of mad in a good way <laughs> and we'll hopefully do a podcast about him later. But I think the essence of what Brad's getting at is do you double down on the thing you're already good at? And if you're not going to double down what do you do that's uncomfortable so if thinking is normal do you then move on to doing as a way to counter the thinking and be uncomfortable in two ways Mm. be uncomfortable because it's new and be uncomfortable because it's physical Mm. for me this highlights a pretty significant social tension that there's like a thinking class that seems to perhaps even out of anxiety out of their doubling down and thinking that they have to find a way to make it superior to doing because they're not as capable as they may like to be in that area. And people that uh, don't go to university and are very practical. Um, mm. And So we're we, ending up with a dichotomy is what you're heading towards. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. There's social um, or there's cultural um, iterations of both of those things where you know, mm. let's say a movie they might have the practical people end up being like quite like a happy kind of family usually in movies or portrayed that way so it's like there are there are those two camps Mm. and both perhaps have their issues whether it be um ignorance or insecurity or whatever it is but there there is a way to do both and in in the sense both groups are doubling down absolutely the practical people double down even more so Mm. i think really the essence of brad's thing is should you double down on either thing practical or thinking yeah. I don't think you need to have a link between the thinking and the doing, but both of them need to push you and keep being uncomfortable. Mm. But if you're only uncomfortable in one way. So to me, um, you know, listeners, I haven't I don't think talked about this in the podcast yet, but in October 2014, I started doing Ashtanga yoga, which is a very physical form of yoga. You know, the people who do Bikram, which is, you know, hot yoga in the warm rooms, mm. they think they're hard but in reality, they're relying on the room to be bendy. Mm. You know, they need to take a hot room with them to practice. I'm not like, meh, what good's that? <laughs> I want to just be able to dump my mat anywhere and get my body so hot I can be flexible. Mm. Um, part of the reason I wanted this is because as a blind person, I had found kind of disabled sports, that kind of stuff, just profoundly boring. Like the idea, I'm so hyper-competitive that if I'm going to beat someone, I don't want it to be another blind person. That's like, well, that's not really very meaningful to me because I need to stomp the world or I'm not going to be happy. Mm. So, you know, as a kid, I swam at sort of club level, was fairly fast, 
Yeah, a friend of mine tried to get me into weightlifting. I was like, no, that's pointless. <laughs> like lifting heavy rocks that are weird shapes. Don't get that. So I spent a lifetime really looking for a form where you just kept getting better and better and pushing your body further and further. And lo and behold, it was incredibly good for my brain. Mm. Within two months of starting this really difficult physical discipline, uh, and if anyone wants to go and look on YouTube, just you know, go find a video of the entire primary series in Ashtanga Yoga. Um, you're about halfway and you'll conclude that things should be snapping. <laughs> and the simple rule in Ashtanga is you don't get your next posture until the one you're in is comfortable. Mm. So if you can't do the next one, you can be stuck for a very long time. Like I've been stuck on a posture now for two years. Wow. And there's something in my lower back that just doesn't want to go there and I'll be stuck there until it learns to go there i'm not sure this may end up involving a sledgehammer (laughs) but the significant thing with this is i'd always recognized there was a value in doing and thinking that you needed both things but i'd viewed doing as the practical thing Mm. doing was going out and being a consultant and training people versus teaching in a university and preparing people as part of their degree it was a different way to apply my skill set whereas when i started the yoga the physical side made everything else work better. Mm. So there's different ways of doing. There's applying your knowledge in the world, but there's also physically becoming a doer. So there's at least three versions of this in that you know you need to push yourself mentally, you need to push yourself practically, mm. and you need to push yourself physically because a body that's pushed harder can look after your brain. And this is something, you know, we'll get a guest on to talk about this later. I very much like to get my yoga teacher on Mm. to talk about ashtanga and what it's done for me and what it's done for him and not so much to try and get people doing ashtanga even though i'd love to get people doing ashtanga but what is eminently clear to me now is that your brain can't look after itself Mm. it it's not disciplined enough whereas a disciplined body a body that does its hour and a half practice six days a week which is what I do. And you know, Tim can sort of confirm that all of second semester, because we started at 8am, I was not doing my Tuesday morning practice before the lecture because I didn't want to be on my mat at 5am. <laughs> I was going home and doing my practice later in the day. Mm. And I was uh, you know, sitting there feeling all uncomfortable. My body was going, yo, idiot, you haven't practiced. I hate you. <laughs> Just for missing a day. Yeah. And yet, uh, I don't know. It, it's, okay, Listeners, I'm now 47, so I'm not the youngest human anymore. But I would argue I feel younger now, four and a bit years into Ashtanga, than I did before I started. Mm. And that is a combination of both physically more competent, um, physically more robust, and a body that can support me demanding of my brain that in a week I can revise a course. In a week, I can design a course for a client for what they need to train their people in. That you know, this doing thing is multi-layered. It's doing what's uncomfortable, doing what's practical, doing what will intellectually push you further. But more importantly than all of them, is doing what will create a body that can sustain everything else you want to do. Something about this reminds me of you know dreamers and doers, people that think yeah. about doing something or say that they're going to do something for a really long time and then they yeah. don't do it. I wish I could remember who has the wonderful quote and it's it's nice to have a dream mm. but it's better to have a plan. 
Yeah. And I remember saying that to a friend's daughter, you know, when Ella was 16 Mm. and she desperately wanted to be a filmmaker. That was the dream. But she had no plan. And a comment I said to her and then we talked about for five minutes and I I just reiterated, you know, it's good to have a dream but it's better to have a plan was the trigger for her to work out how to get to the best university in Australia, the best accelerated course with a full scholarship to become a filmmaker. The dream wouldn't have got her there. But once she flicked from dream to plan, so you're absolutely right, there's a question here of thinking and doing. Dreaming is thinking. Mm. It's very enjoyable thinking. Mm. But that transition is very interesting. So... We have lots of different kinds of thinking. You can think about the dream. You can also think as your profession about abstract things. Mm. You, know, you can think about the nature of logic, you know, the nature of being. And that could be very rewarding and you can push further and further. And if that's the only thing you do, I would say you could be a very good thinker of it. But if you're thinking about being, how can you think about being when you're not doing a good job of living it? You know, it it's sort of the Colin McGinn argument that we have an embodied brain in an embedded world yes Mm. it's our mind is embodied in our brain and our body and all of us is embedded in the world Mm. so anytime you want to ponder on pondering get over yourself (laughs) you're a mind and a brain a brain and a body a body and a world and that world is constantly going to be asking you to join in or you're going to have to actively choose to withdraw. So you can be a very deliberate choice to be a thinker, not a doer. And if you keep doubling down on being successful at the thinking, you'll get very good at the thinking. But will in the long run that will be will that be rewarding? Obviously, for a lot of people, hugely rewarding. Mm. The question is: Is it the thing you want to do? So does there have to be a doer in every thinker? No. Should there be? In my opinion, yes. Every great philosopher, every great physicist should also look forward to whatever their physical practice is. Mm. They should look forward to jumping on their rollerblades or they should look forward to going for a swim in the ocean or they should look forward to the fact that every Sunday morning, you know, if they live here in Adelaide, you know, they do the walk up to Mount Lofty and back. And I, I would go as far as saying, and audience, feel free to get stuck into me. Mm-hmm. If I meet you and chat to you and it turns out I can't work out you've got a physical discipline, I'll assume that you're thinking sloppy. Ooh, interesting. I currently don't have a, a a physical discipline. I must admit, I'm nearly a year out of my physical discipline. Hmm. My thinking is probably sloppier. <laughs> well, I've watched enough people of what happens when they get one back to hmm. go, all my anecdotal evidence is get the physical discipline, have a sharper mind. Hmm. Well, as soon as I, I have been someone that, You've also been stupidly busy the last year. So I would argue just the sheer level of physicality in your normal day of getting everywhere you need to go and getting everything done, your level of incidental fitness is very high. Yeah, I, I, I do walk a lot. That's, yeah. that's possibly true. But I was someone that grew up with no interest in physical disciplines. Well, that's not true. I had interest when I was quite young and then never found anything that appealed to me. Um, was always quite... I was a very like typically scrawny kid that was quite good at math when I was very young and then 
became interested in philosophy when algebra got too abstract for me. So mm. I just never picked up sport or anything like that. And it wasn't until one of my friends who was very physically minded it convinced me to come to gym that uh, I, I decided to go and found out that I loved it. And that was the moment. It wasn't starting university. It was that moment that my career and all of those kinds of things that turned from dream to plan because mm, the strange thing with physical discipline it gives you a, a, a foundation in daily discipline that yep. can then be rolled out to everything else you do yep. and music can do the same thing mm. but i would even argue um you know with the musicians i know the most competent musicians i know as they age maintain their ability to be good singers good uh, instrumentalists mm. through their physical fitness first mm. you're pondering on whether to go back to gym yeah yeah oh, definitely yeah well i'm I'll be signing up <laughs> as I leave the door. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't have to. This is, again, it's all just curiosity. But so there's actually so many parts to Brad's question. Mm. What, it's, a, it's a lot. What do you want thinking to be? Is it going to be central? What do you want practical things to be? Does there have to be a direct link between thinking and practical, or can they be two different things? Mm. So I had a wonderful example of a student a few years ago who had been the top honors student in politics. Mm. Um, had gone on to do the masters and was just getting really bored. Thinking was, he was good at it, he could very good at it. And he ended up starting to go to the state emergency service and turns out he's awesome at climbing trees and using a chainsaw. Mm. Now, so his practical and his thinking are not directly related, but they inform each other. You know, his brain is more interested in things that can be brought back to the world. His body makes sure he's always got energy and discipline to apply to thinking. And if we look back at you know the ancient Greeks, because they're a good example with this, you know, the philosophers weren't slobs. <laughs> the philosophers went to the gym. Mm. What what's our assumption that Socrates fought in at least two wars? Is that the standard assumption? To be honest, I've actually never studied classics. Okay. So yeah, it's been more your Descartes and those yeah, kinds of people. I, I think yeah, Descartes. So right. I'm going to be fixing names today. Descartes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not Descartes. We're De not in Bill Descartes. We're not in <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. Even that would be cool. <laughs> well, again, um, the idea in, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, God, we've gone a long way now, haven't we? <laughs> in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where they go and get Genghis Khan off the step mm. and bring him back to 1980s LA. And... All he really wants is the stainless steel baseball bat so he can beat crap out of stuff. And you go, no, this is a guy who created an empire with cohesive laws across most of the known world. Mm. Yes, he was capable of gratuitous violence, but to get stability. Mm. So even there, there was an incredible conjunction between thought and action. Mm. The action was ruthless and the thought was very modern and very new. It's quite a neat trick. I, some some practical skills can feed your brain in in similar kinds of way. They'll activate similar yeah. kinds. So like you know, you can have problem solving in a very practical sense. Well, rock climbing. Yeah, absolutely. All That's the rock climbers one. I've mm. met, and the tiny bit I've done on an indoor wall mm. is like this is great because it's where's each bit of you in relation to what you need to find. Mm -hmm. How do you think through the next move? It's you know lived puzzle solving. Yeah. Well, I've, I've found a similar thing in, in cars. Cars broken. Yeah. What's broken? 
<laughs> Why is it broken? Where does it come from? What's the thing? What are the three possible things that it could be? Or, you know, so how like frequently so. do you end up with an engine in parts on the coffee table? Are you, <laughs> are you really, really sort of you know, dangerous to have around the house or are you only moderately dangerous? Um, moderately dangerous to be anywhere near a garage. I won't br- usually uh, just dirty up door handles to the entrance of the house. Okay. But, so you're pretty good. You don't bring it in the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So far. I have an engine block that is yet to be a coffee table. So. Okay. Um, cool. My my partner may not be <laughs> so, so keen about, about that. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing too. Um, if we look at this important of our outlets for the practical, so many people now go to gym. Mm. Um, my very nasty comment of gyms is they're nightclubs without alcohol. Yeah, people absolutely. wear very tight clothes. There's very strange lightning. The music is very loud. <laughs> I'm like yuck. <laughs> And it's also this weird kind of place that you can pick up, like, mates. That was such a good save then, yeah. Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I meant, like, mates in, in the biological sense. Oh, well, okay. I, was giving, I was giving the benefit of both, thinking okay. that, was, that was very cleverly picked. Well done, yeah. <laughs> See, one of the things I did before I started university was to become a sports injury masseuse. Mm. And one of the fascinating places I worked at we didn't more or less did work experience at was a gym in the early 90s in Adelaide called Jones's Strength Academy and it was the really serious power lifters and the really serious bodybuilders both men and women in Adelaide mm. and I don't think I've ever worked in a stranger place it even made university look normal <laughs> <laughs> because just the level of commitment to on one side lifting heavy things and the other side looking buff Mm. I'm like, I'm just totally confused because <laughs> I can't, in a sense, see what the bodybuilders look like. It would have no impact <laughs> on me and I wouldn't be impressed. <laughs> I run my hands over and go, you haven't got symmetry. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm only being cruel. You have. It's okay. <laughs> and with the powerlifters, it would be like, do you realize that all the ligaments in your shoulder are inflamed? No. Do you care? No. Can I lift heavier weights? No. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just the commitment to gonna lift the weight no matter how much it hurts. Yeah. Mm, this is another interesting question. We get into brain chemistry. Mm. Certainly, if you've had a really good day of writing or thinking, you can get a bit of an endorphin buzz. Mm. But I get a bigger endorphin buzz from my yoga practice Absolutely. than I do from thinking. I would say the only endorphin buzz that is on a par with yoga is when teaching goes well. Mm. So when we would have one of the, the you know, two o'clock to four o'clock shoots and they'd go really well and we'd wander over to have a beer after. And, you know, that had gone really well and everyone had learnt lots and everyone was really excited and they were thinking about what we'd worked on and you just go, yeah, big endorphin hit. <laughs> so that wasn't really the thinking. That was So I get my biggest endorphin hits from doing the physical work to have a body that can look after my brain mm. and from the practical application of all the things I learned. So in a sense, the least rewarding thing for me in terms of endorphins is the thinking. I wonder if some people get huge rewards just from the thinking. Whether it's different for different people. Maybe that's what they're like different proclivities toward thinking or practicality is for. So it could come down that some people, it's so easy to double down on thinking for thinking's sake Mm. because they're getting a mega endorphin rush. Mm. Now, if we have the endorphin rush on one side, I think another side of this has got to be your self-constructed sense of self-esteem. Like I think that's where you get down to really individuals have their own view of this. Mm -hmm. 
So for me, you know, blind people tend to end up unfit, putting on weight, not enough muscle bulk, because you're know, moving around the world's hard work. Mm. Sport's not the easiest thing. And you know, I was absolutely convinced I was not going to be that you know, blind person that ended up with chronic illness. You know, from being blind, that was just an unacceptable outcome. Mm. Now, I should probably lose a couple of kilos and give up drinking beer and eating pizza. But my <laughs> simple answer to that is get stuffed. <laughs> I like beer and pizza. So I'm willing to carry those, you know, those, well, shit, it's a whole four kilos. I'm willing to carry those whole four kilos for the sake of beer and pizza. Mm, mm. But I'm not going to carry any more because the practice knocks it off. So you know, let's be honest about the little bit of narcissism in all of us. It's going to appear differently in each person. Mm. So for me, I don't need to be bodybuilder buff. Mm. But the physical esteem benefit of doing is definitely good. Just being knowing that you can do things like that, yeah, the physical esteem. So that yeah. you have confidence in your body to be able to perform in a certain way. Well, I'll give two examples where it was just like, ha. Huh. <laughs> uh, one is, you know, my wife has three sisters, so she's used to just, you know, going in on a beeline for whatever she wants in the kitchen, <laughs> immaterially if I'm standing there doing something. <laughs> and there have been occasions where I've just picked her up by the hips and physically lifted her and moved her so I can go back to what I'm doing. <laughs> Now, she's not a very big person, yeah, but still like a ha. Yeah. I just picked her up and moved her. And there's yeah. a bit of a squeal when she realizes she's airborne. Yeah. But I've always put her down gently. Yeah, that's kind of fun. And would be probably three years ago now, walking down a, a staircase near the Barsmith Library, that, that big staircase. Mm. Uh, yeah, and the bricks are probably a century old listeners. And they're sort of very polished and they're, they're actually changing shape from how worn they are. Mm. And I was going down and I don't know what was on the staircase but my left foot just shot out from under me oh no and i didn't even have time to think but both legs bent my arms went out i literally using the cane to maintain my balance in the air you know my left back of my left heel caught the next brick down sliced it open and i landed on the brick below that on one foot mm. but with perfect balance Wow. Now, if I'd done that before yoga, <laughs> I would have gone headfirst, tumbled and broken something. Yeah. I don't even know how I saved that. Mm. But using the cane where things go wrong and my foot ends up on something of a weird angle or weird height, yoga has saved me from so many potential injuries, but that was the most extreme. Mm. And, you know, two young women came racing up from the bottom of that staircase towards me. Going, what happened? I, I don't know. Something was on one of the steps and put foot on and slide mm. and they said it was amazing you flew and then you landed mm. on one foot and stayed there mm. I go, yeah it's pretty cool isn't it <laughs> and then they looked down and went yeah and your sandals full of your own blood <laughs> <laughs> that's less good <laughs> off we go to get that taped up yeah right Far out. so that to me like to me the physical esteem mm. the physical self-esteem of having a physical outlet having a physical discipline is probably underpinned so much of me, then followed by the practical esteem of teaching. Mm. And because of those two things, I have a natural bias away from thinking for thinking's sake. But I guess everyone's going to put those three things together a little bit differently. Mm. That doesn't mean there's a doer in every thinker because if the thinker gets so much value from the thinking and doesn't feel their body atrophying around them, it doesn't bug them. You're not being rude. You can see academics. How fit are most of them? 
Yeah, no, not 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 amazingly fit. I no. wouldn't say. Well, that's not true. There's, I have a, one of my very favourite lecturers, aside from you, David, would be uh, Gerard O'Brien. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I, think he's I know on your his floor. voice. I think yes. he's on your floor. So yep. he cycles. He has these most amazing calves. And okay, he so lectures, he's a hardcore cyclist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And whenever he, whenever he lectures, he usually wears shorts and I end up getting distracted about what he's talking about because I end up weirdly admiring his calves. Your gym brain's going, yep, Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so how do you balance up the three kinds of potential esteem? You know, physical, practical thinking. Where do you, where do you think you're starting to fit? Because you're still at the point where it's you, you maybe haven't made up your mind yet or fallen into a pattern yet like mm, I have. That's true. It's funny talking to you about these topics because often we come to conclusions that most people know they should be trying to do better in certain ways, you know, diet, exercise, things like that. People have rough ideas that they are things that they could be doing better. And what's interesting about talking to you about these things is we come to more solid conclusions about why those things are good and mm. what other benefits they have as, aside from you would be healthier mm. if it's you did too this. general yeah yeah so i'm in a i'm in a place where talking to you has made me far more interested to do more reading and do more thinking um you know, i was someone who thought that i possibly did more of that than i should have but it's maybe misdirected was maybe a better way to describe it well you were still doing the whole thing of this everything's new and when everything's new <laughs> there's not enough focus but there shouldn't mm. be because how do you know what to focus on you know you've got to know the terrain before you go to a specific place on it that's true so again don't beat yourself up for that one <laughs> you know that's the mistake of trying to catch up with people with 20 years extra reading Mm. And that's why I make the point to people, you know, until all the technology I have now came along that can read to me, I read nearly nothing. Yes. So I've had to do yep. mega catch that's up. True. You know, when you look at my wish list on Audible for audiobooks has 1,300 books in it. Whoa. <laughs> like if I ever don't know what to get with my next credit, I literally just keep hitting the next page <laughs> button, go down whatever page it lands me on and pick a book. Nice. It's a kind of random selection. Mm. I am someone who finds learning or maybe thinking uh, that kind of comes naturally mm. where my practical skills come in in terms of my career. I need more direction with that. And so I'm set, I set myself hurdles with that in terms of education. So I put mm. myself into university after I finish my double degree, I'll be doing a diploma. Just I need to set myself the hurdles to make it easy, make it mandatory essentially for me to learn. So what's the diploma you have to do? So music production, it's called, which okay. I assume is to entice uh, music producers, but it will be uh, knowledge that is for general audio. Yeah. Um, and that's where this kind of thing comes in because I love doing this. But the more I, I don't teach myself things when I'm – I get practice, but I don't teach myself things when I'm doing this for hobby's sake. Yeah. Um, and I already know the value of my kind of physical self. I've just – let that go because i've been undisciplined mm. so <laughs> and that's something i i really i bash myself for so i am bashful um about that but okay. um in terms of the balance it's hard because i inevitably when my uh, as you were saying earlier about me it, when my physical discipline went down uh, my career let's say or the achievements or the things that I was doing 
for my career's sake, um, excelled. Yeah, and and that's the terrible thing of deciding how much you can let it go. You know, there's, mm. there's times where I'm staying in hotels for work where it's the decision, do I get up at five and practice or do I practice when I get back to the room at 9.30 at night, mm. which is going to suck least. Mm. <laughs> mm, that's right. But what I've learned from experience is, okay, if there's one crazy day away out of four that I have to skip, that's okay. Yeah. But only one. Yes. You know, only on the most mental day. So the day where you get on the red-eye flight, you gaga from the morning, you get through the first day, you have the dinner after to get to talk to people you're going to need to work with for the next few days. Okay, that night if I'm going to miss one, it's probably going to be that one. Mm. But that means the next three become non-negotiable. Mm. And there's times where I've got off the plane, got home, 9.30, 10 at night and gone, right, I haven't practiced today. You know? Bag in the corner, yep. roll out the mat. Yep. It's not going to be a fabulous practice. No. I'm going to wheeze and sigh and grumble. I feel better for doing it than not. I used to be so um, disciplined with that kind of thing at, at gym as well. It would take me 30 minutes to drive to the gym and I would end up sometimes having workouts that were at like 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, because you're going to go no matter what. Yep. So, so this is part of this thing too is that the physical discipline, if it's going to be so good for you, has to somehow fit. Mm. You've got to find a way. So no wonder these gyms where there's you know, basically no one there and you just swipe your card mm. and go at any time in 24 hours, no wonder they're growing in popularity because they're for the people that don't need the gym to be social. Mm. They just know they want their dose of physical discipline. Mm. Well, this is the thing is that I know that I get social value from my home life. Uh, yeah. I've moved in with my girlfriend, which has been fabulous for that kind of thing. And from my work, I mean, talking to you, that's definitely, yeah. it feels like a social event. So yeah. um, I plan this year to have a much better balance. I can identify four sectors, let's say, of my life that I theorize will fulfill me. And that's a great thing. It sounds like, again, you've found your own variant of balance. Mm. And that's really what we're talking about everyone needing to do. But acknowledging that you have to balance at least these three sectors at a minimum. Mm. And that is you know, thinking for thinking's sake, something practical mm. and enabling your physicality to be able to do those things well because your body will look after your brain better than your brain will look after your body. Mm. Which is a weird realisation. <laughs> like when you spent so much time thinking. You know, I look back now to when I was a violinist and I was living on a farm and I was farm fit. You know, I could lift up honking great bales of hay and throw them around for hours. None of that was hard work. You know, brush a whole horse and not break into a sweat. Mm. That, that's a fair level of fitness. But it was the wrong fitness for violin. And if I'd had the flexibility and strength I have now, I wonder whether I could have worked around my wrist imploding, which is one of those you know, things that pops in your head at 3 a.m. <laughs> you go, oh, brain, leave me alone. <laughs> and we can think about this when we're eating food because then the food will be distracting because that'll be yummy. And I won't think about whether this is true. Another thing that I we, we often talk about is that is dichotomies, and then we also talk about balance, and it's really mm. interesting that, that humans love answers. Well, they love answers, but they also love binaries. Yeah, we love binaries. It's either it's either this or this. So <laughs> yeah, whereas I'd much rather go you know sweet and sour. Mm. Yum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just except you have to have some chunk of both. Yeah. You know, anyone out there discovered how good it is to put salt and vinegar chips in with vanilla ice cream? Whoa, I've never, I've never heard of that. That, that sounds go. amazing. Because again, the two things really shouldn't. 
and you don't want to do it often. Mm-hmm. But seeing there's some really good coconut ice creams out there, you can do this yeah. and yeah. still be a good vegan. <laughs> we have the technology. <laughs> so back, I think maybe just try and re re answer this question. Mm. You know, I I keep fi- I keep fixating on the word released, finding a way to be released, as if this thinker is trapped inside of a doer. Mm. So, or the doer is trapped inside the thinker. Yeah, it could well, be either way around. That's right. It, it could be multiple iterations or like you know um, extents of either of those things. I think that it's not necessarily that one is tr- is is trapped by the other, but that is um, compromised. Mm. for the other so well you don't do the other because you're so successful at the one you do mm. so if the thinking's going well or the doing's going well why do the other so i think the message in this is don't just do what you're good at do the uncomfortable if the thinking's the uncomfortable give it a go if the physical's the uncomfortable give it a go mm-hmm. because in balance you will do both things better and out of that you are likely to be a more rounded person with a more stable sense of self-esteem, mm. I think. Mm. Or at least that that's my experience and I've watched enough other people go through similar experiences to go, there's a reason why when you take up some sort of physical discipline and you're still thinking and you tell your friends about it and you get the scepticism initially and one or two of them give it a go and then they tell you all the same stuff a year later. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I told you all that, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, but I hadn't done it yet. Yeah, because <laughs> the proof's in the pudding. Mm. Yeah, it could be vegan pudding. We can do this <laughs> with chips and vanilla. <laughs> yeah. Well, thinking about this is actually very close to the crux of leading a worthwhile life. So. Yeah, meaning is just so intrinsically linked to all of this. Mm. But if we go into meaning as well, then we're just kind of, you know, the poor arch is going to collapse from the weight above the keystone. <laughs> Well, I don't want to. I don't want to say meaning. I want to say worthwhile. I think people can more easily commit to saying that something is worthwhile than meaningful. Yeah, that, that's a good word. And I don't know if anyone's made that distinction. We'll have to investigate because <laughs> to do something worthwhile, well, doing some exercise is worthwhile. Mm. Doing some thinking is worthwhile. Yeah, applying yourself to something practical that helps your sense of self-esteem is worthwhile. Yeah. If we kind of make these dis- um, distinctions and compromises let's say well i can't have meaningful but i can have worthwhile it's a good start it's absolutely a great start because if we can make something less frightening we're more mm. likely to do it mm. so we are reading the david goggins book at the moment he's all about you know, just get stuck into yourself as honestly as you have to <laughs> so that you go well i'm over it now I better get on with it mm. whereas let's say for some people that's awesome and for some people you know let's just use the gentle butterfly net and sort of scoop them in the appropriate direction. Mm. Mm. Would one like to be worthwhile? <laughs> one would, wouldn't one? <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm hoping that um, is something for people to pick up in the new year. All right. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Tim. Thank you.